Hey everyone, I'm back and I am with Mark Lesser and we've been waiting for this holy day for about a year and a half, right Mark? Welcome. It feels, like, it feels thank you. Thank you, Rob. It feels like a indeed a holy day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my, oh my. Mark, but, every day, but every day is a holy day. The last time we were together, we were doing uh, kirtan, I believe. Um Mark, for those of you who don't know, uh, Mark is a very prolific writer, number one. I get all your newsletters, and they're absolutely marvelous. And uh, in fact, I picked a couple of things up out of them that we can chat about. But uh, I, I know Mark through Search Inside Yourself, which was that started at Google? Yes. Yeah. It started at Google. Um... 2006 um, was, uh, I got a call from a Google engineer saying, hey, we want to start this mindfulness meditation program in Google. Are you interested? And of course it was, oh, and by the way, there's no budget. That was the- Oh yeah, the by the way, <laughs> yeah, by the way. Oh uh, boy. So that launched a whole, uh, yourself into quite a wonderful career teaching and it was a marvelous marvelous um experience i learned learned and grew so so much uh, nothing nothing like uh teaching mindfulness and meditation to google engineers to get one's uh, mm. in, get one's game game in, a, in better shape mm. i had you know i had done lots and lots of meditation but i i hadn't really taught it in, in the, and especially taught it in a secular environment. Mm. All right. Well, let's get to where, cause that's the other thing I do know about you from our chat. Um, and that's uh, your deep embedding in the Zen tradition. And so, but let's talk about, you had proclivities that pushed you over into that tradition. And what were those, uh, what were little switches that went off when you were much younger and directed you there? Yeah, um, many, many switches. Um, one, one prominent one was uh, reading Abraham Maslow toward a psychology of being. Uh, wow. You know, people people think people think of Maslow as being the uh, the hierarchy of needs guy, but actually, his I think his what I always thought was his real contribution was uh, studying people that were highly evolved in some way, people that were uh, f more free and and freer in their emotions and felt felt more deeply. And um, and reading reading that book when I was uh, a freshman uh, at Rutgers, I recognized that was not me, and mm. and in fact I it it drove home just how asleep and not free I I felt in my my world and mm. and I wondered like wow what what this this makes. I think I think I need to do something about my own asleepness, <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
yeah, and that somehow that awakened some passion in me around, you know, self-discovery and which led me, led me to uh, meditation practice and, and led me to Zen practice, which is something really resonant about that particular, a particular way of uh, practicing and growing. For those of you who are not that familiar with Zen practice, it is rather rigorous, to say the very least. And um, I always kid around with, uh, I'm friendly with uh, Roshi Joan Halifax, who's done a bunch of retreats with Ramdas that we did before he left in Maui for about 15 years. And uh, I always say, yeah, you know, you, you've been doing this for eons to get, I mean, you're the epitome of disciplined practice, although she's a lot of fun, okay, if you know her. Uh, we are a bunch of sloppy bhaktis that have no discipline and don't know how to meditate, and uh, <laughs> we can chant Ram, that's about it. Of course, we've all been well steeped actually in Buddhist practice uh, in our stay in India. But um, with psychedelics involved at all? Oh, psychedelics, yes, they were definitely involved. <laughs> um, I, uh, when I was at Rutgers and, and, and not too long after I had read Toward the Psychology of Being, um, I had a professor who had been a colleague of Timothy Leary's, oh. and uh, and we we became close friends. And he was my source of government grade LSD. And uh, what and, government? And was our that, government? That, yeah, our government was doing and still are doing quite a bit of experimenting. And um, hmm. he was my mentor, and and actually kind of. Helped help create a context for, um, for for taking uh, psychedelics as as a exploration. Which, mm. and I would say I followed his mentorship about half the time, and the other half I was, you know, on the beach with my friends. And, yeah, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but it was uh, it was definitely significant marker uh, in this kind of wow. Um, the experience, the, the experience of seeing how made up my experience is. And <laughs> I think especially uh, the experience of time and um, which was both um, tremendously liberating and, and also uh, I remember at the time a bit frightening. It's like, oh, this, like this state, I don't know that I wanna always be in this state and, but is there any other time than now? <laughs> yeah. Uh, or you get to this point where there's a signpost. Further exploration is necessary. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, but you know, but that but that was part of part of the um, part of the Zen discipline. Always was you know all those years of practice have been to uh, re rely on one's mind and and not to rely on drugs. Um, mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons why I ask, as I well know. That. <laughs> uh, well, not to rely on drugs, not to rely on um, external yeah. 
teachers, external whatevers, it's all what the experience is, right? Um, well, so mindfulness, boy, the ubiquitiness, the ubiquity, whatever of this word in our culture now is extraordinary. And it's unfortunately been strangled a little bit, a little bit out of shape from where it comes. I mean, my uh, rudder for this in my life, and he's been a, a, a good friend and a teacher, is Joseph Goldstein, who wrote that fabulous book, Mindfulness. And, uh, but boy, has it strayed from the Satipatthana Sutras. And... Um, and I know this is central. I, just give me some kind of feedback. Because, you know, as I, I kept thinking about us getting together, I'll, I'll be truthful. I'm so sick of mindfulness <laughs> in a way. It was like, okay, this has to, I have to have this like a fresh consideration of mindfulness. Well, great. You're, you've come to the right person. Okay, I, great. <laughs> hey, thank to you. Me, to, to me, you know, mindfulness and even Zen, right? So I mean, one of the things I love about Zen is that it has a sense of humor mm, and, and yeah. it's, um, and it even, you know, has no, makes no qualms about negating itself and saying that, you know, uh, you, you, you know, don't, you know, you shouldn't smell of Zen, you know, or, <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> someone, cool. someone the other day told me that they're, um, uh, that their meditation practice really sucked. It was a terrible meditation practice. And I said, you know, in Zen, that would be considered bragging. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. That's good. <laughs> and, uh, and so I think, um, I think mindfulness and Zen are just simply, you know, code words are just markers for what does it mean to be a full human being? How can you be, how can you be a full somewhat sane human being given given this world that we that we live in mm -hmm. and 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 that's and and what and what are the how, how might you aspire for that and how might you uh practice for that and and you know my, and to me mindfulness is this you know this an enormous umbrella you know that includes right all of the kinds of the maybe you know the the mic mindfulness that you were talking about to the the deepest most you know most profound practices are all all under this it's a it's a it's a gigantic umbrella but mm. um but i think essentially is i think it's essentially um you know one I, i've had various various definitions of mindfulness you know or, or even of zen you know like it's like how can you keep your heart open how can you keep your heart open in any situation. Hmm. I, I did find, by the way, uh, a definition which inspired me. Uh, and it was uh, from you. The point of mindfulness is a uh, practice is to cultivate a more alive, responsive, effective, and warm-hearted way of being within the world as it already exists and with, within the life you already live. And so the word that jumped out is warm-hearted. And I know His Holiness Dalai Lama uses that quite a bit as well. So it immediately connects me to what the, the most important part of what we came back with in, in the day with Nim Karoli Baba. 
and uh, and that warm-heartedness really says it. Yeah. So yeah, the simplicity of that mm -hmm. is uh, is a, is a beautiful thing. Now, um, the other thing I liked, and and this is again, this is from uh, I believe we should talk about it. Seven practices of a mindful leader. The book you put out last year, correct? Yes. yes. That's really some great great advisal in there and um i didn't get the re i should have asked you to send me the book and i never did but i went up and i found you know a way there's always a way but please do uh, actually send me a book if you get a chance uh so this quote from suzuki roshi you are perfect just as you are and you can use a little improvement Mm -hmm. which I've heard many a time, always loved it. Mindfulness practice sees and embraces two worlds at the same time, the universal and the relative, or big mind, small mind. So let's talk about that. Uh, I think that goes a little bit with, uh, Ram Dass used to talk all the time about, you can live on more than one plane of consciousness at the same time. And that I think is encompassed by big mind, small mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think in some way we are we humans are living on many planes of consciousness at the same time. And and this is just I think a a way to simplify it and uh, help us see that uh, the you know how amazing our consciousness is, uh, but. But in particular, I think um, you know most of us. Most of us were were trained and led to believe that we, you know, that there's only only small mind and and the world of small mind. And so I think that was, you know, again a little bit like uh, Maslow's term self actualization was a kind of pointing to something something bigger than than you know slogging through slogging through life uh, and uh, the world the world of the world of desires and the world of delusion, and then I think as as uh, Suzuki Roshi talks about it, you know, as this I think this something um, he talks about it in many different ways. Sometimes he describes it as you know beyond consciousness. This idea even of something beyond consciousness, mm. uh, and but more often he talks about it as big mind, as you know your true nature, your you know, being, being who you, who you in your kind of deepest, wisest part of, part of your self. Yeah. And then the little guy <laughs> I call mini me, I've been doing a lot of stuff with some a friend of mine around this, the way that causes and conditions create this story habitual patterns, neurotic tendencies, and this gigantic belief in thoughts, mm -hmm. and uh, and that mini-me, and that's a lot of what, as far as I'm concerned, that is what the spiritual path on the relative level is about, and, and moving into warm-heartedness mm -hmm. is, the goal isn't to become the greatest meditator or mindfulness person in the in the world, which is what what I meant when I first started talking about it, uh, that latching onto it in that way, uh, in our result-oriented kind of way, 
is uh, probably counterproductive to what it can really do to help, you know. So, um, the 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 uh, the times we live in right now which are coming to a boiling point some sort here with uh, the election everybody this is uh just a couple of weeks before it actually of 2020 and the pandemic which is rearing its head again in terms of not going away at all going the opposite way all the racial injustice, the economic suffering. I mean, it is quite, I mean, you uh, doing the kind of work you are, you are doing, this is a good job to have right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, uh, spiritual teachers and therapists are thriving right, right now. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's, I, I've been doing a lot of um, uh, organizations, you know, from, from small small nonprofits to large corporations are like, we could use some, we could use some help in how to stay more grounded and, and this uncertainty, right? Mm -hmm. All those things that you were describing that what, what, um, what connects them is this heightened sense of uncertainty, mm -hmm. yeah. right? What's, what's, what's gonna, you know, every time you go out of my house, am I gonna, am I gonna get ill? Yeah. Um, is is our democracy going to hold? Uh, how are we, how are we going to as a as a nation contend with these racial injustices and and the levels of uh, poverty and and uh, the number of the unemployment numbers are pretty staggering at the moment. So all of that is like, how do we? What does it mean to? Um, be warm-hearted. What does it mean to appreciate our lives? What does it mean to practice generosity, right? And with and, and without, with not, uh, you know, avoiding, ignoring, or suppressing this, all of these challenges. Yeah. Well, one interesting you wrote about one of the newsletters. Are you an optimist or a pessimist? <laughs> and then. Yeah, I really look at that and coming from where I come from, I, I'm going to blame this all on my heritage, Jewish heritage, okay? And uh, coming from also, I come from uh, Montreal, so being Canadian, that's a whole other kind of uh, twist as well. And um, I won't say that Canadians are fairly <laughs> pessimistic people. Realistic is what I would say. Um, but we are, we are, as you say, all born with a certain set point about how we approach events and conditions. And we learn and develop filters and defense mechanisms, I put it, mental models that shape how we see ourselves in relation. This is an important point and maybe worth, well worthwhile to fleshing out more. Yeah, I think it's, uh, again, particularly in this time of uncertainty to, to notice how easy, easily it is to go toward to be, you know, I, I can as easily as anyone, you know, conjure mm -hmm. up horrible things happening around this election. Uh, uh, and, uh, but it's interesting to realize that I can just as easily conjure up fabulous things happening. And, and in truth, 
in truth, the, um, the future is just impossible to predict. It just is, especially in these, in these big items. But even, you know, uh, I, I, I just got off a call just a, a moment ago in which um, this, this possibility arose for like, oh, if I wanted to go in that direction, I could, I could be the CEO of that company. <laughs> Is that, and, and it's a, you know, having to do with death and dying uh. and, and, and just this um, to allow wh- whether I choose to or not, just to let myself imagine playing out. Oh, that, that, that could be, that could be really cool. That could be great. Just as, mm. um, uh, we, you know, who, who whoever thought that Barack Obama was going to be president? I mean, we forget we for, how easily we forget. Um, Trump is, you know, Trump has really been very special at making us forget that. Um, but uh, who would have who would have who would have predicted either of those things happening? Mm-hmm. So uh, s- something about um, yeah, I, I think of cultivating the the art of what's possible hmm. and, uh, and noticing, you know, noticing our proclivity toward the negativity bias. And, you know, it was one of my, uh, one of my Google friends was a, a scientist who was very fond of saying that we humans are the descendants of the nervous apes. <laughs> I, think, I think particularly the Jewish humans, but, yeah, uh, Jewish. but, but the, and then, and the Jewish Buddhist humans, but, but all, yeah. but all we humans, yeah. you know, the, it's, it's, um, it's in our DNA to scan for threats. Mm. It's in our DNA to look for all the things that could go wrong. Cause it keeps us alive. It keeps us safe. And basically this is from an evolutionary perspective, the most important thing. So I think so much of, mindfulness practice, spiritual practice, Zen practice is how do we, how do we undo that? How do we work with that breeding for fear, basically Mm. for fear, for what can go wrong, for threats, uh, you know, and, and often we're not disappointed by all the things that can go wrong. And it's, um, you know, it's verified. Um, so t- I think it takes uh, it takes some uh, practice, and also I think a great deal of support. I mean, this is um, I think the power of community is is also feeling our deep, um, you know, warm heartedness is warm heartedness, you know, that we give and that we receive. Mm. And I think it's yeah. interesting to, like, I'm I'm just so appreciating this conversation with you right now, just feeling, feeling your, your warm heartedness, uh, you know, in that. Uh, mm. So, yeah, well, that exchange is what's, I believe will be the uh, saving grace of all of this, mm-hmm. that, that, that gets expanded from person to person to person, mm-hmm. enabling this kind of exchange and feeling. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think we so underestimate the way that we are connected with each, with each other that, um, again, it's like it's, it's as a defense mechanism, it's easy to, uh, 
make ourselves separate and defend ourselves that but this warm heartedness of just like again both feeling and using our imaginations for what's what's possible in how we connect yeah you know though when people are pessimistic and i'm speaking of myself because like i'm the kind you know who larry david is larry sure. yeah. yeah i'm a big fan okay so there's us big fans of larry david who is so horrible a person and so caustic and so self-involved and so um always doing the wrong thing uh there are people who won't like i tried to get ramdas to watch it and he, a few minutes of it this guy's horrible how can you watch this I'm like Okay, well, I you know, I like that whole. I guess the cynical thing is a fun thing, so yeah. then that takes me to the pessimistic thing. People actually they do piling on. I mean, Sharon loves this term, Sharon Salzberg, piling on. You get pessimistic about one thing and you build a castle, mm -hmm. and when you're finished building, you kind of feel proud of it, and it's actually a a habitual pattern that makes you feel good, which is why you don't ever give them up. <laughs> I mean, and that's what mindfulness is about. Everybody out there, that's what it's about. So you, you have a clear picture of your motivations, of your habitual, a clearer picture of your motivations, habitual patterns, neurotic tendencies, and you don't have to enjoin with them. You can see that, oh, this is what this is. Okay, I can leave it alone for a moment, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, to me, you know, Larry David uh, and, you know, the show Seinfeld, it's all just great teachings in, you know, yeah. uh, samsara and uh, yeah, pretty deep. Uh, but, but it's, but I think there's something actually useful about recognizing, you know, and then, and then being, a, being able to laugh, being able to laugh at, at all of the, you know, the, the, the nuances of our, of our, the suffering yeah. of our pessimism, you know, the, yeah. Yeah, losing self-seriousness is highly important mm -hmm. and having a sense of humor. Mm -hmm. Without yeah. that, you're screwed for sure. Yeah. Um, and he's, and it's, it's interesting, maybe the, I just thought that maybe the opposite of warm-heartedness is manipulative. Mm. And Larry mm. David, mm. on Larry David's character, yeah. It's just so, it's just so manipulative. So, you know, scheme, scheming, scheming yeah. for advantage in some yeah. way. Self. So it's like. Uh, cherishing at the very. Yeah. If he were, if he were warm hearted, it wouldn't be funny at all. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That's weird right there. That's right. Oh boy. Um, and uh, another thing I know, I love to talk about this and you have, and it's, uh, we should talk a little bit about courage mm -hmm. and, um, and it does take courage to recognize and allow these reflections once you have them and you see the, the kind of self-interested motivation, the courage to actually face it is a big thing in mindfulness as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I want to tell you a story. Okay, Mark. It's been told before many's a time, but you know what? It comes from Krishnadas. Mm -hmm. But 
it is such a it is so directly to the core in in our experience particularly because of the tradition of bhakti yoga that we come from and guru kripa the grace of the guru Krishna Das was in Mumbai with Maharaji and some a couple of Indian people and Westerner, and he was staying at a hotel. And Maharaji used to come over and give darshan, and he'd sit on the bed and everything. Pretty lucky moment for Krishna Das. And all of a sudden, Maharaji sat up in the bed, and he went. He said, "Courage is a very important thing." So the Indian man, who had been a devotee forever, right, who was um, being with him on this trip, said, but Baba, the, the grace, this, it's all Guru's grace. There's nothing to do. And Maharaji turned back to Krishna's. Courage is a very important thing. I don't know if the word was important. It was very key. <laughs> okay. And Krishna said, look, for the rest of my life, whenever I had trials and tribulations, which were, of a, you know, which were very powerfully pulling me into them, I always had that. You know? And so it's, it's uh, the beauty of that and the realization that that is not hooked up with will. That is hooked up behind will, courage, in my mind. But uh, I want to let you talk about it a little bit. Well, of course, you know, the word courage comes from the word heart. Mm, kura, kur, kur. And, and, you know, and getting back to uh, what you were saying about, you know, this word mindfulness, um, mm. I think, you know, again, there's this whole spectrum, but I think you're you're now more I think at the what I think of as the 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 top of the spectrum of mindfulness when you start talking about courage right that this is that this stuff is not you know it's 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 not easy uh and it's not it's, easy I, to look inside yourself right? it's, right. it's not easy to that's search right. inside yourself that's right facing facing oneself is not easy uh having real authentic relationships not easy you know aspiring and taking any kind of action that you know wanting to wanting to have positive influence wanting to be as as um you know the 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 bodhisattva mind the the mind of um you know i love i love the um these two core vows you know from buddhist practice right beings are numberless i Mm. vow to save them and delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. So these are these are both, I think, fine examples of uh, aspiring to do what is impossible. And it takes courage to to set out, even to even to imagine, even to think in that you know, like to be able to um, and, and to be able to set in that direction. And and it's also very humbling because we're we're not going to um save all beings nor uh get rid of all of our delusions but courage i think courage says that well we have to try anyhow yeah and i think part of for me part of that trying 
is is the practice of moving out of normal ego mind stuff and, and into what I mean Ramdas had a great term loving awareness but into a place that's part of that whatever we want to call it that true mind true self soul spiritual heart I mean the yeah. good thing is there's so many words for it yeah, yeah. Ra- radical warm-heartedness radical warm-heartedness I like that yeah. that's good uh, so yeah, but moving into that, and from that place, being able to have the kind of stamina it takes to allow for things to just be, mm-hmm. just just exist mm-hmm. without wanting to severely change them, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. my dog suddenly thinking <laughs> she she should be part of this podcast. And her name is Maya, so it fits perfectly. Right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. The, Hello, Maya. Nice to see you. <laughs> then what we have, uh, yeah. Uh, but what I love in, in this uh, in this newsletter also is this quote, which I I knew this quote. I hadn't heard it in a long time. It's from Trungpa Chogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, one of our most favorite of favorite uh, teachers. Uh, the bad news is there's no parachute. The good news is there's no ground. <laughs> so, but maybe you you've got to uh, explain that out a little bit more. Yeah, I I uh, you know I think that that quote I hadn't heard it until you know very recently, and it came up in the context of talking about the pandemic and the election and all these mm. issues, right? That mm. that um, that they they bring up this sense of that. You know, of that we're falling and and fear. They they break they easily this uncertainty and again all the all the things that could go wrong. <laughs> what could go wrong is that you you don't you just jumped out of an airplane and there's no parachute like that. This is radical wrongness. Uh, and uh, this the other side of it is that um, you know all everything we fear it's 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 temporary and it's made up temporary mm. and, and and made up mm. and and that um uh yeah and that we have we actually have some choice about the story we tell about uh are we falling or are we flying mm. you know i one of the things i find myself um so so common with uh you know, I, I get I get to work. I I sometimes describe myself as a stealth Zen teacher working in the business world, uh, and you know something I I find a lot, you know, with people in the work world, and this isn't just business people. This is all of us, right? That people describe that I'm slogging through my day. I'm slogging through my life, and I'm I'm, you know, if I'm in a <laughs> if I'm in a coaching situation or mentoring situations like well why not make some other choice you know what what about dancing through your work or dancing through your life slogging sounds not only does it sound boring it it's probably not good for you it's probably bad for your heart and bad for your state of mind try flying try dancing uh and so me to me that's the the other side of that the good the good news is there is no reality in the way that we 
in the, the our, it, it points right to our limiting beliefs and our narratives and stories about yeah. the ground. Yeah. What what is what is the ground after all? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that that's where the courage comes in, as you say in this article. Uh, instead of moving towards that usual pattern that you you know, and that can be just I'm slogging through this shit. It's unbelievable. Can be just that. Mm-hmm. And you stop moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. And this goes back a little bit to pessimism and optimism, you know. And I'm working on that in myself, you know, of, of uh, the silliness that I get into around uh, pessimism, cynicism, and having fun with it, you know. Boy, yeah. that's, that's a lot of fun to think of it, stuff in that way. Yes. And yet there's a little bit of fooling oneself because that's a defense mechanism, basically. Yes. So, yeah. And, and, and to this day, I have to say, and I, you know, I, can, I have no problem describing my life as a, an utter failure. You know, despite, you know, books I've written or things I've done, I, I can just feel like, like, is this, is this it? Like, is this like, (laughs) you know, and, and, uh, and I can, uh, with a little bit of work, uh, describe myself as, as immensely successful and, and, and satisfied and, and realize that neither, neither of those really, I mean, this is, I think the, 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 is there, there is no parachute is that, uh, why, why get worked up or concerned about either of those narratives and um, and uh, just feel the the miraculousness of being alive yeah. and my own breath and consciousness and body and your your breath and consciousness yeah fresh feel freshness fresh That's, freshness yeah. 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 Uh, generosity, aliveness, yeah. appreciation. And that happens. Yeah. And that happens so easily, you know, like doing the, you and I doing this podcast, all these podcasts that I do, I basically am making friends with people because I don't get to spend time with them or I've never met them before or something like that. And that, that brings up the reality of freshness and interconnectivity and, and the way in which we really, support each other the way in which we know it's okay for each of us to have whatever fallacy we have going on whatever uh, perspective that we both know is "Hmm, okay but we're human and we understand that as well you know Mm -hmm. um there's one thing in the in this particular letter mark uh you may have written this and uh i'm not anywhere near a writer like you are. So you expressed it in a way that I would have liked to, and I need to read it because it is so right on. You say, lately, I feel as though I'm waking up from a deep sleep. There's a clear sense of something ending. Clear sense of something ending. At the same time, I don't have a clear feeling or vision of where this is leading, which is both painful and exhilarating. The awareness of my attitudes regarding race and coming to terms with my responsibility is a major catalyst for this waking up for this transition. 
I'm beginning to see and feel how I've avoided my personal discomfort and cultural pain in this area. Some deeply held assumptions personally and culturally are being challenged. Many are being shed. That's so well spoken. As I say, I have been thinking these exact thoughts and all I can say is I thank you for putting them on paper. Okay. But is it, we are all going through this. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 uh, I feel like I'm, you know, losing my innocence when it comes to race and diversity and, and it's, uh, and seeing how important integral it is to uh, our, whether you call it spiritual growth or just, you know, again, coming back, just being a, just being a full human being is like facing, facing this, uh, you know, that how, how we were, the assumptions we made, the assumptions that were, that we were taught that uh, making, making visible all of the things that um, have been invisible, at least to me, you know, have being a privileged, privileged white guy. Mm, yeah. You talk about, let, you know, we all talk about letting go. I mean, uh, Joseph Goldstein's big advice to a young man who was driving around in Maui when he went to do a retreat with us. He said, uh, gee, maybe you could give me some words of advice, Joseph. I'm just, I've been on the path a few years. You've been on it for decades esteemed Buddhist teacher that you are. And you just looked at him and he said, stop clinging. <laughs> so we're all about letting go, right? Yeah. yeah. It's all about letting go. And, but yeah, talking about the usefulness of mindfulness and identifying that which needs to be let go of. Mm-hmm. And that which perhaps is okay to just say, yeah, you're human. There's a little funny tight uh, you know, wire act there. It's one of my favorite paradoxes is, uh, you know, uh, fight for change and accept what is. Yeah, right. You know, exactly. so it's like, yeah, and I think the, but I think in a way they both can be seen through the lens of letting go, right? So accepting, accepting what is, is letting go of wanting things to be different. Um, yeah, that's number one yeah, on the then, list. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I think the fighting for change is letting go of our limited, you know, uh, limiting beliefs and and seeing, seeing the, uh, you know, not being, not being too caught, let, letting go of being caught by events and being able to see systems more clearly. So like um, racism is, is a, seeing sis, the systemic racism that, that we are, that we swim in means, you know, letting go of our own limitations and 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 not just seeing not just seeing event after event but seeing the underlying cause of these events and you know and this is 
this is also, you know, Buddhism 101, you know, mm. the, 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 the second, you know, the, the second noble truth is like, what's the, what's the underlying cause of our suffering, of our mm. uh, discomfort, of our, what's the underlying cause of our essential kind of limitations that stop us from being warm-hearted, that stop us from being free, that stop us from being generous. Yeah. So letting, shedding, shedding, you know, uh, there's that, it's my, my favorite line from the, you know, I, I, I think of it as a Zen text, but it's a Buddhist text, the Heart Sutra, right? With, without any hindrances, no fears exist. Uh, so it's like letting go, letting go of whatever gets in mm. our way, whatever is limiting us, holding us yeah. back. And, that's and I think this is, you know, more and more, um, this is my, I feel like my, for me, my daily meditation practice is with each exhale, this sense of practicing, letting go, you know, again mm. and again, you know, mm. and yeah relaxing that just leads me to think about we all need to relax a little bit we are so i mean we are so wired right now mm -hmm. so i think um, people who can do any kind of meditative practice even if it's just for a few minutes I think focusing on just relaxing the body before you do anything and just really initiate some sense of calm and spaciousness is, uh, is really important in these times. And the other thing which you talk about as well, and we have been doing stuff online around uh, all, all these many months, resilience. And resilience is extraordinarily important. Um, we just did a, a retreat at the end of August. Actually, we're just going to release it so people can uh, download it. Um, wise hope. It's Roshi Halifax thing about wise hope. Mm -hmm. The ability it's cultivating. And we called it loving resilience mm -hmm. because a lot of times people with resilience are going, we're going to be resilient now, you know, it's it tightens it up. It's the opposite of what I just suggested in, in terms of ease and relaxation to allow spaciousness to happen. But yeah, from your point of view, resilience. Yeah. Well, I also thought of, uh, again, coming back to what one of the themes here is about courage and heart and warm heartedness. Yeah. So warm, mm. warm hearted resilience. And mm. um, yeah, again, I think the two, the, the two issues, you know, resilience, uh, by definition is how we actually my 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 current definition of resilience is how we transform uh, difficulty and and uh, and work with change or accept accept uh, change and imp impermanence right because so much of um, resilience has to do with those two big buckets of things things being difficult which always I always think of this. Um, I don't know if you were ever a Simpsons fan, but there's a, a great. Well, I know them, yeah. A great Homer Simpson show, line yeah. where, where Homer Simpson says, "Why does everything always have to be so hard?" And, and, <laughs> yeah, 
That's so great. So, so being able to um, transform uh, how we work with difficulty and how we, how we resist, seeing how we resist change. You know, I, uh, I'm often joking that I'm, I'm forming a support group called Buddhists Against Change. <laughs> that's great because I, that. yeah, I you know who likes who likes change no it's know? awful like change it? is just horrible terrible, terrible and it's awful that it's the core of uh what life is <laughs> it's even worse that way <laughs> yeah oh boy oh boy um the other thing to we are we're getting close uh to the end but um well, you talk about relationships and, and, and a prescription for us all in these times to have more one-on-one, to have what we're doing right now, to have this kind of conversation with, don't need to be on a podcast, doesn't need to be for anything at all, where you can be open and vulnerable, which is the real beauty that can happen between two people. Um, and for us, and I feel, I mean, it's not news, the Buddha, when he was asked by Ananda, well, what's the most important of the refuges? The Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha? And Buddha went Sangha. And it's it's what we were taught. It's what we were, we were initiated into when we were first in India with Neem Karoli Baba and Ram Das. When we, he went back the second time. And I don't mean in any purposeful uh, in any way you'd think somebody was doing anything but the fact is we were just taken in to these families and and the kind of unconditional love that they shared that we experienced and the giving of food the way food is in india is so important that uh, that satsang sangha in these times and of course it's difficult because we have to be socially distant it's boy, it's a it's a cruncher, eh? All these things feeding in in each other and creating more. But um, I, and as much as the internet has so much um, abuse, as much as it has abuse, it has beauty. But yeah. a hundred thousand beautiful visions, a hundred thousand horrible visions are there, and that's part of the acceptance. But the ability for us to to have, I mean, online satsang, we have been doing a lot of that, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we have a Ramdas Fellowship. By the way, any of you guys out there, if you want to get involved, go to uh, ramdas.org and you'll maneuver over somehow to fellowship mm-hmm. and join it and uh, people, you'll get hooked up. Uh, but yeah, that's extremely important for well-being. And if we have to, and if it's just a Zoom life for now, okay, you know, this is. Yeah. I, I'm amazed how potent it is. Um, I, I now do meditation every morning, you know, with a large group of meditators. Oh, you do? Oh, yeah, wonderful. I'm, 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 sitting, I'm sitting in the mornings with the San Francisco Zen Center community. And, and there's something about, now it does help, you know, that I know a lot of those people. Uh, yeah. But, but just, uh, just, being there even online, you know, with, with a group. And um, I was also thinking similar to the story you told, uh, there's a one, I think of it as one of the oldest Buddhist dialogues where someone asked the, the historical Buddha, what is the most important thing in practice? And his response was good friends. 
mm. having good friends and yeah. um and it takes it takes work and effort even even pre pandemic uh, having having real real friends you know um it's a i think it's a crucial and uh, cultivated uh art form life form to mm. Um, you know, because it takes time, it takes commitment, it means being vulnerable, it can be messy. Uh, but I think it's um, especially, I mean, it's one of the things that I loved about my years of living at the San Francisco Zen Center. Oh, yeah. Where these were unusual friendships. These weren't, cho- these weren't people that I chose to live with, but they were like, you know, Dharma, Dharma friends that we were all practicing practicing together and rubbing up against each other you know in in working together and eating together and uh and there is some um, something uh i think profoundly healthy about mm-hmm. fr- friend friendships and community yeah friendships developed around a like-mindedness about wanting to be free mm-hmm. of the stories that we are so convinced that is who we are and the way that we support each other that way. I mean, the people that I was in India with back in the day when Ramdas went back, as I said, the second time we joined them, people like Krishnadas and uh, Danny Goldman, uh, Larry Brilliant, all these people that we were together. There's a way in which in that we all had this tremendous desire to really uh, know the truth now and that's a philosophical thing we were just drawn that truth ends up being unconditional love unconditional uh, caring sharing what ramdas represents to most people who know about him who've ever encountered him or written or read a book or anything and that truth mm-hmm. and since that time we, we may not see each other for a long, long time. And then that moment that we do, it's, there's, it's like nothing happened in that span of time because we really did connect on, on that truth level. Mm-hmm. We didn't connect so much on our ego personality level, although we dealt with that and that was good stuff too, right? As you said. We're eating together, we're drinking together, and we're like um, jousting a little bit. Right? And we used to joust just to get to Neem Karoli. Bob. I mean, we were all lovey, lovey, dovey people, but people wanted to be, you know, close to that thing that was vibrating. Got to get, you know, I got to get near that. I'm going to elbow you so I can get near that. So that kind of a thing was going on as well. But the the uh, relationship and connectivity through the depth of uh, this love that was being shared is a lifetime. It just lasted a lifetime. So I count myself very fortunate. And, and, you know, we do what we can these days to share that as much as possible and create environments where it can be shared. But we're human, and look what we've got, this collective karma going on here, don't we? It's just... uh, Oh boy, That's quite well, the, quite the contrast to the, the way you were just talking about, you know, your 
relationships and the again the the warm-heartedness and courage and in in seeming contrast to the yeah the craziness of what's happening in our world right now yeah, yeah absolutely well um there's before we leave i have to read this little poem you put in one of these newsletter i think it's ann hillman we look with uncertainty it is we look with uncertainty beyond the old choices for clear-cut answers to a softer more permeable aliveness which is every moment at the brink of death for something new is being born in us if we but let it we stand at a new doorway awaiting that which comes daring to be human creatures vulnerable to the beauty of existence learning to love uh, who is she this is, i don't oh wait no i know ann hillman and famous ann hillman right poet poet yeah beautiful thank you for sharing that oh no i love that mark i love that and i i love that we finally got together after <laughs> after all these months thank you for being here i really thank appreciate you. it and uh everybody will have uh on, you go to be here now network.com slash mind rolling you'll see the show notes and we'll link you up to mark's books and uh whatever else we might have been talking about here little trogim trumpa wouldn't be bad in these times right spiritual materialism there's a good book uh and um, meanwhile, go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and enjoy all of the great, great podcasters, teachers, thought leaders that we have there. And we shall see you next week. Again, thank you. Namaste, Mark. Thank you.